Welcome to On the Way with Tony Chris. Each weekday, Dr. Chris will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is Podcast 162. In our last two podcasts, we have looked at how God prepared the world for the coming of the Messiah in the fullness of time God sent forth His Son. So we have looked at two aspects of how God prepared the world for the coming of Jesus. That is, through the destruction of the first temple and the building of the second temple and that exile period of the Babylonians and the Jewish people being freed to go back and build a second temple. During that exile period, God raised up the Beit Knesset, the houses of assembly, in every Jewish hamlet and village anywhere in the world that they had been scattered through exile. You see, God had to get the Jews out of their homeland, and he used a means that none of us would have ever done, and that is through persecution. He scattered the people all over the earth so that they would go there, and they would set up camp, so to speak. They would build cities. They would assimilate into the people, and later they would understand that they would need to gather together, and they did that in houses of assembly called Beit Knesset, that during the days of Alexander the Great and the changing of the guard from Persian to Greek, Alexander took his art, his culture, his philosophy, and his language with him everywhere that he went. Because he had come from the land of Hellas, that is E-L-L-A-S with a rough breather on the front, a little backwards apostrophe, it would have been pronounced Hellas with an H. Now, that is where we get the term Hellenistic. It's a synonym for to make something Greek or someone Greek. You Hellenize them. It comes from the Greek word Hellas, which was an alternate name for what is modern day in ancient Greece. And so Alexander the Great Hellenized the known world. And literature was translated into Greek. The Bible was translated into Greek. Everything was Greek. It was Hellenized. And that was part of God's plan, because not only did he scatter his people so they could set up preaching points all over the world and miniature worship centers all over the world, not to replace the temple, but so that they could have a place to gather and assemble and to, at some point, start reading the Torah and so forth. And that happened during the days of Ezra, when the Torah portions were designed for uh, the people so that the captivity and the biblical illiteracy of the Torah would never happen again. He set up where the Jews would read through the Torah every year, later every three years, and they would read during the week, and then they'd come together on Shabbat in the synagogues and wherever they were in the world, and they would read and chant those passages called the parashah out loud. And those portions were laid out. But as many of you know, when persecution came and Torah during the days of the Greek empire was outlawed, then they could still read the prophets. And so they would read their prophets. And so what they did is they created what's called the Haftorah. And that is that they would read a prophetic passage 
passage that would quote something of the Torah or refer back to the Torah so that they could inadvertently, so to speak, or backdoor teach the Torah without reading the Torah and breaking the law. And so that was exactly what happened the day that Jesus came into Nazareth in chapter 4 of the Gospel of Luke. And the Bible says he was handed the portion to read for that day that in the sovereignty of God was indeed the messianic passage out of the book of Isaiah talking about when Messiah comes, he would be anointed to preach the euangelion, the good news, the gospel to the poor, to the blind, to the bound, to the broken, and that he would indeed preach the acceptable year of the Lord, which is a quote from the prophet Isaiah, which was a reference to the year of Jubilee in the book of Leviticus chapter 25. And so Jesus, when he sat down and when he stood up and when he read and he taught, he was handed the scroll not to turn anywhere that he wanted to, but the portion that was assigned and in the sovereignty of God the day that he came back to his hometown and was going to read and teach in the synagogue in the Beit Knesset there in his hometown, he just happened to be reading the portion that was assigned that day that was talking about him. In the fullness of time, God brought forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, that he might redeem us. So God had every step planned out. That's why often Jesus would retreat to go away so that he could see the Father's plan for the next step because he did nothing on his own, only what he heard and saw the Father do. And that's why in the press of ministry, many times he would pull away so that he could get the heart of the Father, so that he could walk in obedience to his Father, so that one day that perfect obedience could be credited to our account. And so the language is a very important part of the rise of Alexander and his conquering of the known world. But one thing we've got to always remember is nothing is forever. And so Alexander died at a very early age. And when he died, the kingdom was not designated to another. The strongest would take it. And so the four generals that had been his key people divided up the kingdom that Alexander and they had conquered. Now, you don't need to remember all of the four generals, but it was Lysimachus, Cassander, it was Seleucus, and it was Ptolemy. That's P.T., Ptolemy. And many of you are familiar with that name from ancient literature and the Egyptian dynasty that Cleopatra was a part of. And so the only two you need to really remember for now is Seleucus, who took all of what is Iraq today and that part of the Mesopotamia, what is Syria today and the northern part of the borders of Israel, and Ptolemy, who took North Africa and what Alexander had conquered there. And the reason that that's important is because the nation of Israel, what is the nation of Israel today, the land of Israel, the biblical land of Israel, was again caught in the crosshairs between a powerful general to the north, Seleucus, and then you had Ptolemy in the south. And they went back and forth, and they would take the land of Israel from one, and then the next 
next person in the dynasty would take it back from the other. And this went back and forth all the way until the Romans came along. But what I want you to understand is that the Greek kingdom ended. And not only did Alexander's reign end, but also the generals that came after him. Because you see, God brought to power a great nation in the West, in what is modern-day Italy. They were a powerhouse, and everywhere they went, it was like devouring fire, and they conquered everyone. And yes, they marched where Alexander had all the way to what we call the Persian Gulf today and beyond. They conquered all of what was the kingdom of Seleucus, and they went even into Egypt and conquered that part of North Africa. And of course, as you recall, Pompey in 63 BC marched into what is the Holy Land and conquered that, and it became part of the Roman, what would be later the Roman Empire. And so that is part of the story that gets us ready for the coming of Jesus, because you see, the kingdom had had to divide after the death of Alexander, and God had to raise up some way to bring the world under the control of a power that would allow the gospel to be taken everywhere in the world. And for the message of the coming of the Son of God and his substitutionary death, burial, and resurrection, there had to be some power or some way for a person to get from one place to another, and to do that in a way that along the way he could preach the gospel and could share the message of the coming of Jesus. And so as the Romans came to power, they brought with them what was later known as the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, because if you raised your hand against Rome, it would be cut off. They were a powerful foe, and they were evil taskmasters, but they did have peace, and they force peace. And anytime there was a rebellion, they would send in their legions and they would conquer the rebellion as quickly as they possibly could. So you know the stories of intrigue about Julius Caesar and Cleopatra, how that Brutus and Cassius, how they murdered Julius Caesar. You remember the A2 Brute, you too, Brutus, you are my betrayer. Well, when Julius Caesar died, his grandnephew Octavian in in his will was named his adopted son. And he and a man by the name of Lepidus, Octavian and Lepidus, and a man by the name of Mark Antony, Mark Anthony, we would call it, they began to rule as a great triumvirate in leadership in Rome. Lepidus kind of went by the wayside, and the two that really ran Rome was Octavian, that adopted son of Julius Caesar and Mark Antony. And, and Octavian took the West, and Mark Antony took the East. And with that, that involved also taking over of the land which used to be called Egypt and under the control of the pharaohs. Now it was under the control, yes, of Rome, but there was a lasting legacy of the Ptolemaic dynasty. The last of the dynasty was not a man, it was a woman. Her name was Cleopatra. And we've already been introduced to her, but she and Mark Antony began to have a relationship 
Mark Antony did not realize that Cleopatra had a desire for the Greek culture to once again rise and the Greek kingdom to once again rise. And she saw Julius Caesar and then Mark Antony as a way for that to take place. And so Mark Antony literally started giving away parts of Rome, the land that had been conquered back to Cleopatra. And as that began to happen, as well as other things, there was a great rift between Mark Antony and Octavian. And Cleopatra and Mark Antony went to war with Octavian. That came to a head in a final battle at the Battle of Actium, just off the coast of Italy. And Octavian's forces routed the forces of Cleopatra and Mark Antony. And they fled back to, escaped and fled back to Egypt, where both of them are said to have committed suicide. And now Octavian was in sole control of the Republic. And in the next podcast, we're going to begin to really bring this home to the fullness of time. Because you see, there needed to be peace worldwide for the messengers of the gospel to be able to go to those places that had been set aside, called the synagogues, and preach the gospel, and then get into the cities. There also had to be a language that they could share along the way. And then when they got to those synagogues and the cities where those synagogues were located. And in the next podcast, we're going to talk about the world after Octavian took over what would become the empire of Rome. For On The Way, this is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On The Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.